Welcome to Our Hen House. This is Marianne Sullivan. And this is Jasmine Singer. This week, Jasmine has a really, really extraordinary interview. She will be speaking with Musisi Mike, who is a Ugandan activist who has founded and is running Love for All Uganda, which is devoted to uplifting human and non-human beings. And he's also the director of the all-vegan Atlas Community School in Uganda. Whoa. So cool. Like, brilliant guy. And it was so amazing to just touch base with him about what's going on in Uganda. He's doing extraordinary work, like truly extraordinary. I've been so excited to share this with everyone. And I also want to add that we are including two versions of this on this episode, where we have a voiceover version, because our accent and his accents are not they're not necessarily easy to understand together. So we have someone who is doing a voiceover with uh, what might make it easier for some of our listeners. But if you want to hear Musisi, just stay on the episode until the end because we'll play his full interview without the voiceover. So hopefully that's helpful for people. And yeah, I'm so excited about this. Isn't it cool? Well, I just love these interviews that show how worldwide veganism is and caring about animals. And it makes me feel like, you know, I, I've said it before, like we're, we're just so connected to people uh, who, you know, more connected in some ways to people in Uganda who get it about animals than we are connected to the people next door having the barbecue. It, it's one of the feelings that really makes me keep going. I just, while you were talking, I just got a kiss on the heel of my foot and it wasn't by a human by the way. Oh, that's good. Uh, who was it from? It was from Louise. Ah, uh, Louise, Louise. Louise and Herbert. Louise and are Herbert. Two, two creatures that we are about to talk about. So mm -hmm. tell everybody. Okay. So Louise and Herbert are the newest members of my household, making the grand total of non-human residents who live with me five. <laughs> Unless you still have those mice in the basement. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to believe I don't since I annoyingly have a, a, a mouse phobia, which I realize is a very unfortunate thing for a vegan. And I don't want them, I don't want them to die. I don't want to kill them, but I also kind of faint when I see All them. Right, but I, sorry, I distracted you. Let's okay. get back to Louise. And okay. Herbert. So Louise and Herbert, I, I was shocked. I'm still a little shocked when Moore brought up the other day, she said that she found a online a bonded pair of Jack Russell chihuahuas and I was like oh that's funny because if I gave birth I would definitely give birth to chihuahuas and if you gave birth you would definitely give birth to Jack Russell's so clearly this is like our children ha 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 oh my and god I don't know why you're repeating this to the world but but keep going what we did give birth to them having <laughs> didn't you give birth to your rescued cats I'm confused all right let's move on from this okay. from the shtick okay not a shtick Moving on anyway, since you obviously don't get it. That's okay. So we went to, I, I like, like, I, I haven't even been allowed to look on Padfinder, just so that we're clear. And Moore found these, these animals and like, you know, one thing led to another. And we have this little darling Murray who we got last year, who we rescued and, and he has a lot of energy and we try and have him play with our next door neighbor dog uh, and they're they're close, but they don't get to play nearly enough. And he clearly needs like another dog to run around with. Our other dog is our like probably 16 or 17 year old who knows Chihuahua, George, 
who's a sweet little guy and definitely not up for the challenge of keeping Murray entertained. So one thing led to another. We found ourselves applying. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm in love with them and I haven't even met them. I, I literally really? did a... Really? You overreacting? I did, a, I did a witch spell. That's how much I want. I did like a... I like printed out their picture and I did a come to me spell, which by oh the my way, God. I how much are you going to reveal about your weird psyche in, no, in, but in I, the I, three minutes of this intro? So I, it's not like I believe in that that much. I think it's just sticky and fun, but I like, I like the theater of it, you know? And by the way, as you're making fun of me, I'm pretty sure I used like a spell book that you got me. Well, so. I, I pander. I'm, I'm not denying that. Right. I pander. That's all I was doing was pandering. Also, it was funny. Like, it's all funny. And I play cool music and I burn cool incense and it's just like the theatrics. Anyhow, so we wound up adopting them. Could you like do a spell to stop everybody from eating animals? Oh my gosh. Why haven't I thought of that? That's all it would take. I know that like all of these activists who come on our headhouse are doing these really incredible campaigns, but... Are any of them doing witchcraft? Actually, we did have a witch on on our headhouse, my friend Angie Lovell. If you're interested in that, go look up that episode because she was friggin' awesome. And I loved that episode. And I love Angie. It was really cool. Anyhow, so this past weekend, and you came with us, which I'm very grateful to you for this because we couldn't have done it without you. But after we, you know, applied for these dogs and then like sent in the photos and then they checked our references, you were one of them. Our dog sitter was one of them and our vet was one of them. I said you were very nice. Thank you. Did you say I was out of my mind for getting <laughs> more animals? I, I, they, they did not ask me, is she out of her mind? So I didn't feel like I had to volunteer it. Okay. Well, thank you. for. I appreciate that. One thing led to another. We wound up driving an hour and a half with the dog, with our current dogs, Murray and George and you on Saturday. And they were at like a canine festival, basically, in this town called Jamesville, New York. And we almost went to were, Jamestown. Yeah. Which, which is like two, two hours the in the other, other direction. direction. Yeah, it was that would have been not as as good. But it is where the Lucille Ball Museum is. We should and, definitely and, go to that. I, I, I really, really want to go really, there. I think it's more like three hours away, by the way. I, like, that's a big day trip. I drive faster than you do. definitely. Well, I drive fast. Never mind. I don't want to get into that. We have cruise control, though. So whatever. On our new fan. <laughs> I mean, cruise control is nothing new. I don't know why I'm excited by it. I don't know either. Like, can you get back to the story? Yes. Yes. By the way, I, I was told today I don't have ADHD. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to believe. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we go and we, we're at this like festival walking around for Gertie's Small Dog Rescue, which is where we were adopting them from. And we, we basically, you started recording, George started barking his face off, our little chihuahua. We met the little babies, uh, Louise and Herbert. And they're just these adorable bonded pair of, they were litter mates once upon a time. Since then, they've been in five homes or were their fifth home, I should say. And Murray, our like rescue poodle, was our, our rescued small poodle. He was very into it. He was like, cool, come home with us. We'll play. I've got some toys. I've got some laps. George was like, what in the name of God are you doing with my moms? Like, get away. 
But then like a few hours later, he's like, fine, whatevs. Anyway, so we brought them home and we have a very full house and I'm definitely not even remotely used to it. In fact, today's the first work day that we've both had with the dogs. And before, at some point, Moore was out with one of our dogs and the two newbies were downstairs and they started like howling and they were like singing in perfect thirds. I was on a meeting at the time and I was like, all right, it's going to be very interesting to record interviews. I don't know how this is going to go, but... Yeah, I th- I think the whole like they're part Chihuahua, part Jack Russell. They sound like beagles. They have that. Yeah, thing. no, that that was totally that was totally it. You speak you speak Jack Russell Chihuahua. No, and it's also, beagle. By the way, Moore is like working in her office right now, but she can hear me. <laughs> she just texted me and said, "Don't forget that we went to Strong Hearts." <laughs> so yes, we went to Strong Hearts which is like one of my favorite vegan restaurants in uh, Syracuse on the way there. And that's always a lovely, a lovely stop. If you're in Syracuse or Buffalo, you have to go because they have one in Buffalo now. And we're right in between Buffalo and Syracuse. So yeah, but too far from either one to go there very often. So it's an extra big treat when we do get to go. And I wear my Stronghearts hoodie like all When the we time. go to the I Love Lucy Museum in Jamestown, now that we know that we need to do that, we can go to the, the Stronghearts in Buffalo. Do you think everybody's really interested? No, I don't think so. <laughs> in the day to day. No, not at all. But uh, but anyway, so we have these two little new darlings, five animals. If you have five animals and you're listening to this, please like send me a message so that I don't feel alone in in the bananasness of this. Uh, so yeah. And by the way, another quick thing I want to say is since we last recorded, we saw Tignataro do a show here in Rochester. And I, I've i seen her, I actually have seen her do that show before. I didn't realize that until <laughs> we were there. That was years ago in LA when I was living in LA. And in LA, I used to run into her all the time, like at Craft Gratitude in Larchmont. And I well, she's vegan, there. so... Yeah, exactly. And then I've, I've interviewed her uh, for Veg News and that interview recently played on the Veg News podcast. So... And then I remember she was a supporter of PCRM. So I was at like a PCRM event once and she was there and like we talked. So we've been in similar circles and I'm a huge fan of hers, like massive fan. Anyway, so the next day after we saw her, I was at a coffee shop with two of my friends and it's a coffee Not sh- a vegan coffee shop. Not a vegan coffee shop. My friends are vegan. And we're sitting there and we're talking about the show because they were also there. And I said, all right, we have to stop talking about it. She could walk in any moment. Ha 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 ha. So we move on. 15 minutes later, Tignatara walks in the doors of the coffee shop. Swear to God. And I go, stop. I say to my friends, stop. Tig just walked in. And they're like, what? And I'm like, I'm going to go say hi to her. So I like get up and I'm like, hey, Tig. I'm Jasmine Singer. I've interviewed you before for Batch News. And she see, she was like, oh, right. Yeah. So we, you know, we chatted a little bit and then I, I didn't want to be that person. So I, I went back. You were, you were kind of already well, that person, no, but I think it's it, okay. No, no. It, I don't think I was really that person because <laughs> I knew her ish. No, that's true. That's true. Like, it, like if it was someone else, I would not have gone up to them. I'm, I, I am not the Jasmine I was. Oh, it's difficult. You know, I always feel like celebrities, it's kind of like they don't, want to be bothered, but they kind of do want to feel like everybody knows who they is. So it's kind of like drawing, you have to like draw that fine line. Right. 
So I don't think it's so terrible to go up to them. I don't think they like to be ignored because their whole lives are based on being famous. So right, that would be hard too. So you did just the right thing. Thank you. And so anyway, it's been a like we're in Rochester. When I lived in L.A., I saw celebrities all the time. I honestly didn't care except for when it was Tig. Like I was like, it's Tig Notaro. So Rochester, you just don't run into celebrities. You just don't. And um, so that was funny. You're actually kind of count as a celebrity in Rochester. Oh, my God. That's ridiculous. And well, you're on the radio. You're the lady on the radio. Well, but no, I mean, it's not like anyone knows what I look like. So whatever. But thank you. That's funny that you said that. Back to the dogs who sound like Chewbacca when they're playing. We did have a big breakthrough when we found a vegan wet food that Herbert would eat because he wasn't liking the one food that we get for the other dogs, which is a fresh refrigerated vegan dog food, very high quality bramble. It's amazing. Our other dogs like it. Herbert was like, what is this? And so we had the evolution canned food because we were also trying to give that to our cat at one point. She was like, no. So we still had the cans and he was like, yeah, whatever this is, give me it. So I have some of those cans because my cat said no. Can I have some of those for Herbert? Yes, absolutely. Okay, thank you very much. Anyway, so I have my hands full, but in all of the best possible ways. And one other thing I wanted to mention before we get to move CC today is that last week we mentioned that we were at Farm Sanctuary, which was so fun. And I mentioned that I was going to do an audio postcard, which is basically a, a, a radio spot that is not an interview, but it's like the audio and the natural sound from an environment to basically bring you there. It aired this past week on on, uh, WXXI. And there's also a link to it and we'll put it in the show notes. And actually, you mentioned maybe I should play some of it. So what do you think? I'm going to play a little of it now. Is that? Yeah, it's really cool. Okay. And you should mention Andrew. That was his name, right? Our tour guide. Yes, it was Andrew O'Donnell was our tour guide and he was absolutely incredible. And yeah, here's a little part of the the audio postcard. If you want to hear the whole thing, click on the link in the show notes. Our first stop here is going to be with the cows, uh, where the most common comments that we get in all the tours is, oh my gosh, those are the biggest cows I've ever seen in my life. How uh, big are they? I mean, some of them are over 2,000 pounds. All right, so our first stop right here with the cows. like most everybody's in the barn. Hi guys. Hi guys. Oh yeah. That feels good, huh? So the way that I discovered that this is her favorite spot was a few years ago. I was hanging out with all the cows out here in the winter and before this I always thought Diane was more indifferent to getting attention. But this day she walked up to me, like, oh great, I'll hang out with you. (laughs) I started scratching her all over and then when I came across this spot above her butt, she just started throwing her head around like, oh, like, oh, that's the spot. And then she actually took off running, running laps up and down that road right over there. Uh, and every time she would pass me, she would stop and put her butt right in front of me so I could scratch it some more. She got like the zoomies, you know, running up and down. So this is my favorite part of the tour, the Cornish chickens. I absolutely love the chickens so much. They, I, you know, they need to be advocated for so much. Jack is a very excitable, very friendly pig. Somebody found him just kind of starving and shivering in the corner of this petting zoo and they asked the owner if they could take George and the owner said, well, he'll probably die, uh, so why not? So she took 
George home and brought him over here to Farm Sanctuary, uh, where I've gotten to watch him grow into a very big, healthy, very food-motivated boy. There's one duck in the sanctuary who loves people. His name is Pitt, and he goes, <laughs> whenever people are around, I'm not kidding. So he, he like wags his tail when people get next to him. He starts panting like a dog. He just gets so excited. He doesn't like to be touched or handled or anything, but he just and, like- And here they are living their best life. You know, it's not perfect because they, they are over, you know, they're too big and they're bred to be too big, but still, they look pretty happy. So that was so fun that that was able to air and I've gotten so much good feedback on it. And that's partly because I think that we kept it really accessible. Like it's not, it, it, the stories are speaking for itself, right? Like themselves. Totally. And you didn't say anything about going vegan or anything about food at all. It was just all about the animals. Yeah. People can hear that, I think. Yeah. I think so. And I loved doing this. I'm so, so, so happy with how it came out. And thank you again to Andrew and the Farm Sanctuary folks were so incredible to work with. And I'm so happy that that is on the air there. So let's get to our interview. Enough babble. Yeah, let's get to this interview. Yes, please. I'm really excited about it. Musisi Mike is an amazing Ugandan activist who is trained in agribusiness management and is the founder of Love for All Uganda, a community-based organization founded in 2018 to uplift humans and non-human creatures. He is also the director of Atlas Vegan Community School, the country's first vegan school. He will be joining Jasmine right after this. If you like what you're listening to, and I hope you do, then please consider taking a minute out of your day today to leave us a friendly review. You can do it on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or Stitcher or on Facebook or wherever you listen to podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. The more we get out there, the more our hen house will be in front of people's eyeballs when they're putting in search terms in their podcasts and the more we could join forces together to elevate the voices of the animals and change the world for them. So thank you so much in advance for leaving us a friendly review. Welcome to our hen house, Musisi Mike. Can you tell us what Love for All Uganda is? Love for All Uganda, it is an organization. Love for All Uganda, it is an organization which is community-based, located in the Kasanda district in Uganda. The organization was established to empower human and non-human beings based on ethics. As an organization, we are empowering the communities in different categories. We have women empowerment, children empowerment, environment, or climate. We have animal advocacy and education as part of the organization. So, Love for All Uganda is a community-based organization established by Ugandan, and we have four directors on board that are also Ugandans. We are doing our work in two sub-counties in the district of Kasanda in Uganda, and we have the smallest budget because we are a small organization, mainly empowered by volunteers. So that is a little about Love for All Uganda. And how did it begin? We started uh, in 2018, when uh, we were called Freeborn Children Mission Ministries. We started in 2018, and we were called Freeborn Children Mission Ministries. Later on, after discovering the suffering of animals and of other living things, we discovered that we have to take an approach to empower them too. 
So we changed our organization from Freeborn Children Mission Ministries to Love for All Uganda so that we can engage all humans and living beings together so that we can give them advocacy for their lives and whatever they're doing. So that's why we came together. In 2021, we just started as Love for All Uganda, and we embarked on the work of activism to save animals, to preach love for animals, to preach love for the environment, to preach to people to go vegan. And that is where we are right now. That's amazing. Such important work. Tell us about the Atlas Vegan Community School. Yeah, on the way... As an organization and... Uh... Yeah, as an organization, I and my team, we decided that if we want to accomplish our mission or our goal, we have to put more effort on education. So we came up with a plan of starting a primary school in Uganda, which is vegan-oriented, fully vegan. And my friends, they accepted my idea. So we started a school in 2022, last year, which is vegan-oriented. We teach children how to love animals. We teach them compassion. We teach them love, how to conserve the environment. The Atlas Vegan Community School, it is empowering the young generation to boost veganism and its components. So it gives the young children hope and gives the country that if this generation grows, knowing the veganism ideology, they can also spread it in the future and they can build another large population of vegans and can save animals from being treated poorly in the country. So that's how the idea of Atlas Vegan Community School came up, and it was started from nursery level to primary four right now. But we have hope that we shall go on adding at least to primary seven. So our main goal is to teach young generations to become vegan, to teach veganism everywhere, and to practice plant-based food. And what about veganism? What kind of food do you provide, and what do children learn about food? We provide plant-based food to children and nearby communities. Because our cause is to... We provide plant-based food to children in nearby communities because our cause is to reduce on animal product consumption. So at the school, we buy food which is fully plant-based. We give our children the best food dishes. It is plant-based and it gives them energy. It is well-equipped with all nutrients, which the kids need. So we try to promote plant-based food and more production. So that's what we do. And our dishes are plant-based. And I understand that you're in the process of rebuilding. So. What are your goals in this rebuild? Yeah, we are in the process of building the school. Yeah, we are in the process of building the school. Our main goal is to see that at least in 2040, the population or the number of vegans that will be here in Uganda and the suffering of animals will be reduced. Because if you put education as the first priority in your campaigns, that means that we are going to educate the younger generation. Also, they will educate their parents. They will educate their community. That means that the population is going to be big after our advocacy for veganism and animal suffering. So in our goal, we say that by 2040, we shall be having a population of at least 80% people will be vegan. And they'll know how to treat animals, how the animals are equal to them, and how they can spread love for animals. And we shall be promoting peace, unity, and compassion to every community in Uganda. Does the government provide education to children where you are? The, the government gives education, which is free, to some areas. The government gives education, which is free, to some areas. But in our area, we have no education school because the area is still remote. It is very far from the centers of the government. And even the government, when they give out the free education, they don't give the education to the children. They don't care. 
For them, they just put their school, but they don't put their equipment, like teachers, like materials. But right now in our area, we don't have a government school. We are the only school in the area, and our school's best for helping the vulnerable children and the orphans. So that these children, they don't pay any coin. We take care of them, which is a big challenge we have. But we are trying our best. And where do the children come from who attend or who, who will attend the school? The children, they come from different areas. And, uh... The children, they come from different areas. The children we have, they move six miles, seven miles to come to school. It is a bit challenging to young children because we have children from three years to 12 years old. Consider a three-year-old child coming six to seven miles. It's a big challenge. At the school, we are trying to put more planning so that we can maybe get a vehicle. Maybe we can construct a hostel near the school so that they come to school and they stay at the school. But now they move that long distance to come to school and they come from different areas because we are nearby 70 to 80 villages around us. And those people come from those areas to come to our school. Uh, do the parents have to pay a fee? No, not really, because our school was established on the... No, not really, because our school was established on supporting the marginalized children, all those people who have no support, and the number of people in our area that are really poor. They are really in the poorest environment, because years back, people in our area, their parents died of HIV or AIDS. So the number of children we have, some have HIV or AIDS, others do not but their families were affected by HIV or AIDS. So we decided to give them free education because we know that their parents, they can't manage that. And it is the only way we can bring children to the table and their parents so that we can do what we are supposed to do. So the parents don't pay anything. It is a school who takes care of everything. And how do parents feel about including animals and veganism in the way you teach the children? Yeah, sometimes we get meetings with parents. And uh, we teach them the right things. Yeah, sometimes we get meetings with parents and we teach them the right things because in our organization, we have a project of women empowerment. In the Women Empowerment Project, we help these parents with seeds. We give them free seedlings so that they plant to get enough food for their children and to get food for money because they sell some of their foods to get some money to take care of themselves and they grow food for consumption. Mm -hmm. So we help them on that. So while doing it, we do meetings. The meetings we do, we teach them the importance of veganism, the importance of plant-based food, and how the children are going to benefit from this. And yes, we have a few parents which have not yet understood what we are building in their children. The largest number, they accepted us and they gave us their children knowing what we are doing. And some of them, they are transforming from animal production to plant-based production. So we are trying to teach them slowly but surely, you know? They take a long time to understand. This process, this think tank, it is for those who understand quickly. But if you are in an area where people take things slowly, we have to also go slow. And then to give them courage that what we are doing, it's not wrong. It's the way to go in the world. So the number of parents are accepting what we are doing and that they give their children knowing what we are doing because we first teach them before we receive their children. And if someone accepts, then we're good with the children. So tell us about the award you received from PETA. Yeah, PETA, they gave us uh, a compassion. Yeah, PETA, they gave us a compassionate award because they saw what we are doing as an organization and as a school. So they gave us that award and they gave us $1,000 to feed their children and also to do other things at the school. And they also send us materials every month. 
which we use to give to children to learn how to love animals through small books and flyers. So we use their materials, which they send every month, and they are very important to our children and the entire community. So we appreciate their effort to support veganism, to support compassion and love toward the younger generation. They put their effort to help us, and we appreciate them for that. So in addition to the school, you're all working on a number of other projects in the community. Tell us about your vegan food distribution. Of course, we do vegan food distribution in areas where people are suffering hunger. We do vegan food distribution in areas where people are suffering from hunger. Like last year, we visited Kalamoja. It is part of Uganda, in northern Uganda, where people were still eating grass because what we did was not enough for them. So we visit those areas where people are really starving for food. So we do it in different areas. We give them free food, and it's plant-based food, so that we are trying to convert people from animal production to plant-based production. So that's why we do it. And we do it to save the aged people, the children from hunger, because in Africa, hunger, it is growing wildly. Because every area, people are suffering. We try to cover that gap by giving them free food, by giving them seeds. Those who can go to garden, we give them free seeds so that they can grow their own food. But those who have no land, we give them food for consumption and trying to convert them to come to our side. Tell us a little bit more about the hunger that's there. In Uganda, we, we have the, 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 the highest number of population. In Uganda, we have the highest number of population, mainly youth. And we have unemployment percentage of people in Uganda, which is high. So we found that the number of households are very many and people have no food to eat. People, they used to grow their food years back, but we got some diseases in the foodstuffs. And you can grow food and you end up getting nothing. Our seasons have changed because of climate crisis. People are cutting off trees everywhere. So we find it challenging that if you want to grow food when you don't have an education system, you can't grow food. You can't grow enough food in your area. So that brought everything on track to see that the hunger is rising every day, every time. So people are dying every day because of hunger. Children and elderly people. 60% of people die of hunger in Uganda, meaning those areas like northern Uganda where people have no food totally. The government to take care of them, but also our government doesn't do that. Because the governments, they do where they see that they can get something. But if the area that they don't have anything, they can't get it from there. They don't put the effort to help those people in those areas. So we try to cover that gap as an organization, and we are working with them to cover that gap of hunger. But it is not very easy. We have to be having enough funding to buy food, whereby the food is very expensive right now in Uganda because of inflation. And right now, the World Bank refuses to pay Uganda money. So we see that things are going to change slowly by slowly. So we are going to be the poorest country for some time to come. People, they will not be having money to buy food. In Uganda, someone cannot raise $1 a day. So that means you cannot raise money to buy food. You just take food once in a while. If someone can get lunch, they can't get supper. If someone can get breakfast, they can't get lunch and supper. So that's the situation in Uganda. When people are living such hard lives, how do you reach them with a message of compassion for animals? Yeah, we sit down as a team and we see what is visible. And we see how we can go grassroots to the communities. Because when you go grassroots to the communities, you sit with them and you find the solutions. 
where you first find the problems they have and then you come up with the solutions. Like I said, they are suffering of hunger. So if you want them to come on board with you and you teach them the veganism and so on, you have to come with food because food is their main problem. When you come with food on the table, then they will listen to you because you have something on the table. But if you come with nothing, they will not give you their attention because you have nothing and they are hungry. Someone who is hungry, you cannot help with anything. You can't tell him or her. But if you have food, things become different. So that's how we handle them. We have to see that we come with food in those areas to convince them slowly by slowly to turn on our side. What is the current situation for farmed animals in the area of Uganda where you're working? The animals, people, people, they do slaughter animals. The animals, people, they do slaughter animals and they do make animals suffer in the areas we have reached so far because they have less knowledge on what we are trying to say. Because we have limited organizations in Uganda which are vegan-oriented and those who are vegan-oriented organizations, they have limited resources to reach people in every area. So we found that some areas... They don't know anything about veganism because we don't reach there. We only focused on the areas we are working on, like we have two sub-counties in one district. So you're going to concentrate on those only. So if we get funding and if we get space, maybe we can move area to area, which is not easy right now because we are still a small organization which needs a lot of funding to boost our work everywhere. So we do what we can as an organization. Of course, we visit homes, mainly those people who are having domestic animals at home, and we educate them how they can handle them. And we teach them that these animals, they are not our foods. They are not for money. We have to love them as we love ourselves. We have to take care of them. So there is a small reduction, but also we need more effort to make people understand it very clearly. Because when we are dealing with people who are in the poorest area, we have to do it in an alternative way. They ask you, Yes, you don't like us to eat animals or to kill them. What do you have on the table which can give us another option? So you have to do something on the table so that they don't do what you don't want them to do. That's the main challenge we have. Because if you say to someone that you don't have to kill this animal for food or for anything, you have to come up with a plant-based alternative. You have to be there with seeds. You have to be there with money to give them to support them in irrigation schemes. Because some of the people, they have land, but they don't have irrigation schemes. They don't have irrigation pumps and so on. So you have to put those things in place so that you convince these people to leave what you are saying that is wrong and do what you are saying is right. And what do most people eat? Are, are people's diets mostly plant-based or animal-based? Um, before we engage them with what we are doing, they are aware. Before we engage them with what we are doing, they were animal product consumers. But right now, at least in 10 households, you can find two still consuming meat as they're transforming for meat production to plant-based production because we're trying to give them what we can as an organization. And we put more emphasis on grassroots outreaches. We go there, we meet them, we teach them, we meet local leaders, and we try to encourage them to try their very best. Because if they go into plant-based feeding and all plant-based production, it saves a lot. So we're trying to teach them and people are understanding what we are trying to tell them. I know in many places, moving from a traditional plant-based diet to having more meat in the diet 
is seen as a sign of prosperity and success. Is that true where you are? And how do you counter that? Yeah, no, it is like I, like I said, that's in, in, in the African tradition. Yeah, you know, it is. Like I said, that in African tradition, animal product consumption, it was part of like when someone won something, people celebrate their winnings by slaughtering a goat or slaughtering a cow. But right now, we are trying to convince them that you can have your success by not slaughtering animals. You can do whatever you want, but because it's part of promoting unity and peace. They can promote peace, you and your animal. It's the only way you can be a good person. Or maybe you can promote humanity in your community or in your home. So we are seeing that people, they are trying to change from that rigged situation to a new era. Where by now, people, they journey with the animals. They love them. We are trying to compile an amendment soon. So that the families, they have to consider animals as their family friends in whatever they do. So that it will help people to take care of animals as their children, as anything they treasure in their families. So we have progress in what we are doing as an organization. And we see that people are changing in the communities we are focused in. And how do people generally react to this vegan messaging? And when you say it's better to not raise and eat animals, are they open to it? Uh, some they are open to it. Others that read, others they they take long to. Some are open to it. Others take long to get open to it. But as I said, it is a new thing, and you cannot force someone to change in one day or two days. That's why our focus is on younger generations. Because if you change a younger generation, it will be very easy for other people to change. Because a child can teach a parent what is new, what is going on, and a parent can change. So our focus mainly is on the younger generation, and we focus on teaching them what is right. And also, they go back home, and they teach their parents what is right. So if we bring more children to the table, it will change the generation. And we are trying to do outreaches in the communities, showing them things, where the animals are slaughtered, where people are killing animals, and how you can get diseases from animals. So people, they understand that some diseases are coming from animals, like COVID. You go last year, two years back. So we try to teach them that if you feed on animals, if you treat them badly, if you do this, these are the results. So they get to understand slowly, because 80% of the people we are dealing with they never went to school. So you have to be patient with them. Yeah, that's good advice for everyone listening. It can be easy to lose patience, I think. But you're right. People come around when they come around. Tell us about your water project. Water project? Yeah, we have it, but it is not uh, so... Yeah, we have it as a project, as an organization, but because of less funding, we just go to the water wells and we clean them and we do that community work. But we have a plan that if we get funding, we can build water bores to the communities so that they get fresh water. In areas, people, they use the same water with animals because they don't have that clean water. It is our approach that if we get the opportunity to get funding, we can put it as a tribute to the communities. You can build those wells. You can build to the boreholes to the community members and the schools. Like our school, we don't have water. We mm -hmm. suffer with water at the school right now because the season has, we get little rainfall and we have one tanker. It cannot accommodate 180 children we have. But if we get a borehole or water well at our area or at, or at our school premises, 
but we need to put more effort so that we can get funding and do our project, a water project, to every area we have. And we put irrigation because it will pass also an irrigation scheming. Because we need people to grow vegan agriculture so people grow with vegan education. We have to be with those irrigation schemes because nowadays rainfall, it is not as it was in years back because of the climate crisis. And you're also working on seed distribution. Are most of the families you work with involved in farming? Of course, our families, the farmers, the peasants. Of course, our families, they're farmers, they're peasants. We are trying to teach them veganic farming where they don't use animal products. So to do it, we have to give them free seeds. And they need to get water to water their seeds to grow well. But they don't have the irrigation scheme. And sometimes they can grow like on one acre of land and then they get one bag of maize or beans because of poor environment and so on. So we need to see that if time comes, we dig water wells so that they can collect water from there and they get pumps to get their crops to be easier for them to grow more vegan food in the area and they can get what to eat and get what to sell to get money. But our people are farmers. So... What kind of livelihoods, other than farming, are available to the children that you teach? The life is, it, it is miserable. It is miserable because... The life is miserable. It is miserable because our people, they are very poor. And you can find a family where they cannot buy food. That means they don't pay school fees for their children. They cannot buy a uniform for their children. They cannot buy a shoe for their children. We are living in a community where people are very, very, very poor and very sick because the largest number of people, they have HIV or AIDS. They are very sick. They are very weak. They are very poor. So we are trying to do what we can so that we can educate these young children to build another generation, which will be effective to the change. But the lives of our people, it is miserable. It is very poor. So... How can our listeners find out more about your work? What is your website and your social media? Oh, like, as an organization, we do our work on... Um... As an organization, we do our work on different platforms that we are using to promote our work. As I said, we have a website. We have other platforms. We have a website, which is www.love4allugandaorg. We have our Facebook Love for All Uganda, Twitter, Love for All Uganda, Instagram, Love for All Uganda 12. And the four is always the number four, Love for All Uganda. And also, we use our home-based strategies, like we do campaigns, we do outreaches, and we're trying to, in the future, we shall be having radio show talks and TV show talks time to come. So we are doing all those to promote our work in our country and other countries. That's great. And we'll include links to all of that as well. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Just don't go anywhere. I just need to finish uploading this. But thank you so much for joining us on our head house. Okay, welcome. Social media has become such an important part of almost all of our lives. So please make our hen house part of that social media experience for you. You can like us on Facebook. You can 
follow us on Twitter or Instagram. We try to post some news stories to help you keep up to date on what's happening in the world for animals. You can also find us online, of course, uh, on our website, ourhenhouse.org, or you can email us. If you have some concerns or questions or something you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, let us know, info at ourhenhouse.org. Anxieties are rising. Our first story today is about the anxieties rising in the industry, the egg industry specifically, about the fact that it is now possible to not murder the little male chicks after they hatch, which is what they do now, as you all know, by horrific, just dreadful means. And instead do what is called in ovo sexing so that they would figure out when they were still eggs, what sex they were going to produce and they could get rid of the get rid of the male, the, the eggs that were going to turn into male chicks at that point. All right. They, they, they've always said it's not possible, but you know, there are places all over the world, you know, that are doing it, particularly in Europe. And, and so this story is from Watt Agnet. Would U.S. consumers purchase in ovo sexed eggs? Already, the question they're asking is not the right question because they know that they're setting themselves up so that they can say that the answer to that question is, well, probably not. Uh, but the question should be, like, is this the right thing to do? But, you know, that's not the question they're going to ask. Male chick culling, and they like to call killing culling, as I like to point out every week. <laughs> is the industry standard for the U.S., and millions of male layer chicks are culled annually. Most U.S. consumers are unaware that the industry culls male chicks or that in ovo-sexing technology exists. Well, yeah, they don't even know this happens. I mean, nobody knows anything about this. Like, it never enters their, their, their brains whatsoever. So, yeah, consumers are completely ignorant about this. However, they did a survey, and they kind of... It was it was conducted by Innovate Animal Ag, which you know wants to promote this inovo sexing. And according to Innovate Animal Ag, seventy three percent of respondents uh, said that the industry should move away from culling and find an alternative. The same organization says that consumers would be willing to purchase eggs branded with a get this a no kill label even with a price premium, a no-kill label. Are we not going to mention that they kill the hens? Uh, you know, like are, they going to, like, are they going to send them to retirement homes uh, until they die? I don't know. The executive director of this, uh, of this organization says, we wanted to have data to help producers make the decision about adopting Innovo sexing technology. Our data shows that there is a strong business case. Well, yeah, that's their business. <laughs> there to be a case. But, uh, you know, this article, which of course is, you know, an egg industry article, pushes back and says that the, the survey results show that 71% of respondents are willing to pay a premium for eggs, including 55% are willing to pay a premium of 36 cents a dozen or more. Wow, these consumers, they, you know, they're really uh, going out on a limb. 36 cents a dozen, that's a lot of money. Um, however, because many egg buyers are value-driven. Well, yeah, most people are value-driven. <laughs> like, like uh, people like value. Almost a third of the survey respondents said they would not pay a premium for eggs produced using in sexing technology, which just shows you that 
like, uh, people are just scum. <laughs> I can't even say in a survey they would bother to buy it. Of course, the problem here is that, you know, as we know, that consumers are not that likely to individually buy a higher welfare product. Yeah, you know, some of them are, but most of them aren't. And that doesn't mean that they wouldn't be in favor of everybody having to get that product. They just don't want to be the only suckers who are paying more for their eggs when most people are not. This guy, Yaman, believes that consumer education about Innovo sexing needs to be improved in the U.S. for the practice to be adopted. Well, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, since nobody even knows this is happening, uh, it would help if they if they knew. Of course, that's not what the um, the egg industry would like. According to Chad Gregory, who's the president of United Egg Producers, regular reporting to egg industry leaders worldwide indicates that a method that meets the food safety, ethical standards, and scalable solutions needed for the United States is not yet available. So somehow, the egg industry has ethical standards that are so high. That uh, that that whatever they're doing to do to check on these eggs to find out what sex they're going to produce are you know are just not good enough for the egg industry. Are they kidding? Oh my god! And you know the final conclusion of this article is, of course, consumers will decide what the demand is with their wallets, but no, they won't. No, they won't. We know they don't. They don't do it about cage free. They'll vote for cage free but they will not buy, well, most of them will not buy it themselves. All right, I'll shut up. Um, all right, I'll go on to our next article. I sometimes feel like I perseverate a bit. All right, Eats Act creates significant market turmoil. This is kind of a fun article. This is also from Watt Poultry. And this is about these comments made by the CEO of the nation's 15th largest egg producer. And he doesn't like the EATS Act. Of course, the EATS Act is the law uh, that Congress is, you know, people are trying to pass in Congress that would ba- basically vitiate California's Prop 12, which limits the sale of pork and eggs that don't use, you know, specific, quote unquote, high welfare <laughs> systems. They're not high welfare, but they're just a tiny bit higher welfare than the, the normal systems. This guy says it's going to create market turmoil. And the reason is because, and you know, this is where the egg industry screwed up. He, they, they got out ahead. Presently, about half of the eggs produced by Sauters are cage-free. They've already made the investment, or at least part of the investment, half of the investment. And so even though the EATS Act is supported by all of these industry groups like National Egg Farmers, National Pork Producers Association, American Farm Bureau, National Cattlemen's Beef Association, why are they getting involved? Does it have anything to do with beef? They're not paying attention to all of their members because companies like Sauters have already put a lot of money into this, seeing this was coming. They thought the deal was over. And then, you know, all of a sudden, the industry big shots are trying to fight it. Sauter said his company bought a $1 million complex that was all cages, and they retrofitted half of it to cage-free at a cost of $15 million. And they, of course, have, have contract growers. And for the group of farmers that raised the company's layer hens, he estimated that the cost to retrofit to cage-free was between $75 million and $100 million. So they have a lot of money invested, which shows you how much money there is in eggs. It's really a lot of money. You got to enjoy seeing them fight with each other, don't you? Uh, and their anxieties rising about each other's behavior and, and seeing a little dissension within the industry. I enjoy it. <laughs> you know, you got to take your pleasures where you can in the animal rights biz. All right, finally, a vegan ad 
was banned for causing, quote, unnecessary distress. Now it's been seen by millions. This is, if you wonder about the gleefulness in that headline, it's because this is from our friends at Plant-Based News. So this was an ad that was put together by Viva, which is, you know, is a UK-based organization. And it was it was called New from Killer Yogurts. Sounds unbelievably disgusting, I have to say. It pictures a woman eating fake offal and blood from a corner-style yogurt packet. The voiceover was new from Killer Yogurts, the umbilical cord flavor produced with only the finest ingredients, the stolen milk of grieving mothers. Taste the torment in every mouthful, blended with brutality. Be complicit with Killer Yogurts. (laughs) All right, so they had done recent um, undercover investigation of zero grazing, which is, you know, the the UK has been a little slower than the US to transfer over to never letting the cows out at all. But apparently they found plenty of places to take film of that they could show that. The ad was seen by more than three and a half million people, but then was banned by the Advertising Standards Authority, who had received seven complaints. Well, that makes sense. Seven complaints, because it was likely to cause unnecessary distress And it was likely to be seen by children, even though they paid for the advertisement only to be shown to an 18 plus audience. It was the the advertisement was online. But now it it got so much coverage that so many more people have seen it. So you got to love that. It's kind of like what PETA frequently pulls off. You know, they'll they'll try to get something like a Super Bowl ad on and then they'll be denied, but then they'll get coverage for getting denied for having the Super Bowl. It's very clever. So apparently it's being seen all over the place, many, many more people than they ever imagined and, you know, links to it in major stories in the news. So good for you, Viva. Nice work. And that's it for this week's Rising Anxieties. Welcome to our hen house, Ms. Cece Mike. Can you tell us what love for all Uganda is? Love for all Uganda it is an organization which is a commuter based located in Kastanda district in Uganda. The organization was established to empower human and non-human beings based on ethics. As an organization, we are empowering the communities in different categories. We have uh, women empowerment, children empowerment, environment or climate. We have animal advocacy and education as part of the organization. So Love for All is a community-based organization established by uh, Ugandan. And we have four directors on board. They're also Ugandans. We are doing our work in two sub-counties in the district of Kassana in Uganda. And we have the smallest budget because we are a small organization, mainly empowered by volunteers. So that is a little about Love for All Uganda. And how did it begin? We started uh, in 2018. We are called Freeborn Children Mission Ministries. Later on, after discovering the suffering of animals and other living things, we discovered that we have to take an approach to empower them too. So we changed our organization from Freeborn Children Mission Ministries to Love for All Uganda so that we can engage all human and living things together so that we can give them advocacy for their rights wow. and whatever they are, they are doing. So. That's why we came together in 2021, we registered as Love for All Uganda and we embarked on the work of activism to save animals, to preach love for animals, to preach love for environment, to preach people to go vegan. And that is where we are right now. That's amazing. Such important work. 
Tell us about the Atlas Vegan Community School. Yeah, as an organization, uh, I and my team, we decided that if we want to accomplish our mission or our goal, we have to, to, to put more effort on education. So we come up with a plan of starting a primary school in Uganda, which is vegan-oriented, fully vegan. And my friends, they accepted my idea. So we started a school in 2022, last year, which is vegan-oriented. We teach children how to love animals. We teach them compassion. We teach them love, how to conserve the environment. So the Atlas Vegan Women's School, it is empowering the younger generation to boost veganism and its components. So it gives the young children hope and gives the country that if this generation grows knowing the veganism ideology, they can also spread it in the future and they can build another large population of veganism and can save animals to be treated poorly in the community. So that's how the idea of Atlas Vegan Community came up and it was started from nursery level to primary for right now, but we have hope that we shall go on adding at last to primary seven. So our main goal is to teach young generation to become vegan, to teach vegan everywhere and practice plant-based food. And what about veganism? What kind of food do you provide? And what do children learn about food? We provide plant-based food to children and nearby communities because our cause is to reduce on animal production consumption. So at a school, we buy food which is fully plant-based. We give our children the best food dish. It is plant-based and it gives them energy. It is well-equipped with all nutrients which the, mm-hmm. the kids need. So we try to promote plant-based from animal production. So that's what we do. And our dish is plant-based. And I understand that you're in the process of rebuilding. So what are your goals in this rebuild? Yeah, we are in the process of uh, building this school. Our main goal is to see that at least in the 240, the population or the number of vegans they will be high in Uganda and the suffering of animals will be reduced because if you put education as the first priority in your campaigns, that means that we are going to educate the younger generation. Also, they will educate their parents, they will educate their community. That means that, uh, that the population is going to be big after our advocacy for, for veganism and animal suffering. So, in our goal, we see that by 240, we shall be having a population of at least 80% people will be vegan and they'll be knowing how to treat animals, how the animals are equal to them, and how they can spread love for animals. And uh, we shall be promoting peace, unity, and compassion to every community in Uganda. Does the government provide education to children where you are? The government gives education, which is free, to some areas, but uh, in our area, we have no education school there because the area is still remote. It is very far from the centers of the government. And even the government, when they give out the free education, they don't give the education to the, to the children. They don't care. For them, they just put their school, but they don't put their equipment like teachers, like materials. But right now in our area, we don't have a government school. We are the only school in the area. And our schools best for helping the vulnerable children and the orphans. So that these, these children, they don't pay any coin. We take care of them, which is a big challenge we have, but we are trying our best. And where do the children come from who attend or who will attend the school? The children, they come from different areas. 
But the challenging we have that they move six miles, seven miles to come to school. And it is a bit challenging to younger children, like because we have children from three years to 12 years. So to consider a three-year child to move six miles to seven miles is a big challenge. At a school, we are trying to put more planning so that we can get maybe a vehicle. Maybe we can construct a hostel near the school so that they come to school and they stay at the school. But now they move that long distance to come to school. And they come from different areas because we are nearby seven to eight bridges around us. And those people come from those areas to come to our school. Do the parents have to pay a fee? No, not really, because our school was established on supporting the marginalized children, or those people who have you no know, support. And the number of people in our area that are really poor, that are really in the poorest environment, because years back, people in our area, parents died out of HIV AIDS. So the number of children we have, some that are HIV AIDS, others are not, but their families were affected by HIV AIDS. So we, we decided to give them free education because we know that their parents, they can't manage that. And it is only where we can bring children to the table and their parents so that we can do what we are supposed to do. So the parents don't pay anything. It's the school to take care of everything. And how do parents feel about including animals and veganism in the way you teach the children? Yeah, sometimes we get meetings with parents and we teach them the right things because in our organization, we have a project of women empowerment. In the women empowerment project, we help these parents with our seeds. We give them fresh seedlings so that they plan to get enough food for their children and to get food for money because they sell some of the foods to get some money to take care of themselves and they grow food for consumption. So we help them on that. So while doing it, we do meetings. The meetings we do, we teach them the importance of veganism, the importance of plant-based food and how their children will benefit from this. And yes, we have people which are not yet understood what we are building their children, but the largest number, they accepted us and they gave us their children knowing what we are doing. And some of them that are transforming from animal production to plant-based production. So we are trying to teach them slowly by slowly. You know, they take long to understand this process, this thing that it is for those who understand quickly. But if you are an area where people take things slowly, you have to also to slow and then to give them courage that what we are doing, it is not wrong. It is the way to go in the world. So the number of parents are accepting what we are doing and that they gave their children knowing what we are doing because we first teach them before we receive their children. And if someone accepts, then we we'll go with the children. So tell us about the award you received from PETA. Yeah, PETA, they gave us a compassionate award because they saw what we are doing as an organization and as a school. So they gave us that award and they gave us $1,000 to feed the children, also to do other things at school. And they also send us materials every month, which we use to give to children to learn how to love animals, small books, flyers. So we use their materials, which they send every month, and they are very important to our children and the entire community. So we, we appreciated their effort to support veganism, to support compassion and love towards the younger generation. They, they put their effort to any us, and we appreciate it for that. So in addition to the school, you're also working on a number of other projects in the community. Tell us about your vegan food distribution. 
Of course, we do vegan food distribution in areas where people are suffering hunger. Like last year, we, we visited Kalamoja. It is part of Uganda, in northern Uganda, where people were still eating grass because uh, what we did was not enough for them. So we visited those areas where people are really starving for food. So we do eat in different areas. We give them free food and it is plant-based food. So that we are trying to convert people from animal production to plant-based production. That's why we do it. And we do it to save the aged people, the children from anger. Because in Africa, anger, it is going wildly. Because in every area, people are suffering. We try to cover that gap by giving them free food. By giving them seeds. Those who can go to garden, we give them free seeds. So they can, they can grow their own food. But those who have no land, we give them food for consumption and uh, trying to convert them to, to come to our side. And tell us a little bit more about the hunger that's there. In Uganda, we, we have the, the highest number of population, mainly in the youth. And we have uh, unemployment percentage of people in Uganda, which is high. So we found that the number of households are very many and people have no food to eat. People, they used to grow their food years back, but we got uh, some diseases in the food stops. And we can grow food and you end up getting nothing. Our season has changed because of climate crisis. People, they cut it off trees everywhere. So we find challenges that, that if you want to grow food, when you don't have education system, you cannot grow food. You cannot grow enough food in your area. So that grows everything on top. See that the anger is rising every day, every time. So people are dying every day because of anger. Children and aged people. It's uh, 60% people die of anger in Uganda, meaning those areas like northern Uganda, where people they have no food total. The government to take care of them, but also our government don't do that. Because the mm -hmm. governments, they do where they see that they can get something. But if the area that they don't have anything, they're going to get it from there. You don't put the effort to help those people in those areas. So we try to cover that gap as an organization, and we are working with them to cover that, that gap of anger but which is not very easy. We have to build up enough funding to buy food, whereby the food is very expensive right now in Uganda because of, because of inflation. And right now, the World Bank, they choose to pay Uganda money. So we see that things are going to change slowly by slowly. So we are going to be the poorest country time to come. People, they, they will not be having money to buy food. In Uganda, someone cannot raise one dollar a day. So that means you cannot raise money to, to buy food. You just take a food once in a while. If someone can get lunch, you can get supper. If someone can get a breakfast, you can get lunch and supper. So that's the situation in Uganda. When people are living such hard lives, how do you reach them with a message of compassion for animals? Yeah, we sit down as a team and we see what is visible and we see how we can go grassroots to the communities. Because when you go to grassroots to communities, you sit with them and you find the solutions. Or we first find the problems they have, and then you come up with the solutions. Like I said, that they are suffering of anger. So if you want them to come on board with you and you teach them the veganism and so on, you have to come with food. Because food is their main problem. When you come with food on table, then they will listen to you because you have something on table. But if you come with nothing, they will not give you their attention because you have nothing and they are angry. Someone who, who is young, you're going to help anything you can tell him or her. But if you have food, things become different. So that's how we handle it. We have to, to see that we come with food in those areas. Convince them slowly by slowly to turn to our side. 
What is the current situation for farmed animals in the area of Uganda where you're working? The animals, people, they do slaughter animals and they do make animals to suffer in the areas we have reached so far because they have less knowledge on what we are trying to say. Yeah. Because we, we have limited organizations in Uganda which are vegan-oriented. And those who are vegan-oriented organizations, they have limited resources to reach in every area. So we found that some areas, they don't know anything about vegans because we don't reach there. We only focus on the areas we're working on. Like we have two several counties in one district. So you want to concentrate on, on those ones only. So if we get funding and if we get space, maybe we can move to area to area, which is not easy right now because we are still a small organization which needs a lot of funding to boost our work everywhere. So we do what we can as an organization. Of course, like we visit homes. We visit homes, many of those people who are having uh, domestic animals at home and we educate them how they can handle them and we teach them that these animals, they are not our foods, they are not from money. We have to love them as we love ourselves. We have to take care of them. So the, there is a small reduction, but also we need more effort to make people understand it very clear. Because when we are dealing with people who are in the poorest area, we have to be with an alternative way. They ask you, yes, you don't like us to eat animals or to kill them. What do you have on the table which can give us another option? So you have to be with something on the table so that they don't do what you don't want them to do. That's the main challenge we have mm -hmm. because if you say someone that you don't have to kill this animal for food or for anything, you have to come with a plant-based alternative. You have to be with seeds. You have to be with money to give them, to support them in the irrigation schemes. Because some of the people, they have land, but they don't have irrigation scheme. They don't have irrigation uh, pumps and so on. So you have to put those things in, in place so that you convince these people to leave what you are saying that is wrong to what you're saying that it, it is right. And what do most people eat? Are, are people's diets mostly plant-based or animal-based? Before we engage them with what we are doing, they are animal production consumer. But right now, at least in 10 households, you can find two still consuming meat, others that are transforming from meat production to plant-based production because we're trying to give them what we can as, as an organization. And we put more emphasis on grassroots outreaches. We go there, we meet them, we teach them, meet local leaders, and uh, we try to emphasize them to, to try their level best because if they go into plant-based feeding and low plant-based plant production, it saves a lot. So we try to teach them and people are understanding what we are trying to tell them. I know in many places, moving from a traditional plant-based diet to having more meat in the diet is seen as a sign of prosperity and success. Is that true where you are? And how do you counter that? Yeah, you know, it is, like I said, that in the African tradition, animal production consumption was part of like when someone have won something, people say they're winning by sort of a gold or sort of cow. But right now, we're trying to convince them that you can do your success by not certain animals. You can do whatever you want, but because it is part of promoting unity and peace. If you can promote peace, you are your animal. It's the only way you can be a good person. Maybe you can promote humanity in your community or in your home. So we are seeing it that people that are trying to change from that rigged situation to a new era. Whereby now people, they jump with the animals, they love them. We are trying to compile an amendment soon 
so that the families, they have to consider animals as their family friends in whatever they do. So that it requires people to take care of animals as their children, as anything they treasure in their families. So we have progress in what we are doing as an organization, and we see that people are changing in the communities we are focused in. And how do people generally react to this vegan messaging? And when you say it's better to not raise and eat animals, are they open to it? Some are open to it, others take long to get open to it. But as a, it is a new thing, and you cannot force someone to change in one day or two days. That's why our focus is on younger generation. Because if you change a younger generation, it will be very easy for other people to change. Because a child can teach a parent what is new, what is going on, and a parent can change. So our focus mainly is on the younger generation, and we focus on teaching them what is right. And also they go back home and they teach their parents what is right. So if we bring more children on the table, it will change the generation. And we are trying to, to do outreaches in the communities, showing them streams where the animals are sorted, when people are killing animals, when get diseases from animals. So people, they understand that some diseases are coming from animals, like COVID, we got last uh, two years back. So we try to teach them that if you feed on animals, if you treat them badly, if you do this, these are results. So they get to understand slowly because 80% of the people we are dealing with, they never went to school. So you have to be patient with them. Yeah, that's good advice for everyone listening. It can be easy to lose patience, I think, but you're right. People come around and they come around. Tell us about your water project. Yeah, we have it as a project, as an organization, but because we have less funding, we just go to the water wells and we clean them and we do that community work. But we have a plan that if we get funding, we can build water bowers to the community so that they get fresh water. In areas, people, they use the same water with animals because they don't have that clean water. It is our place that if you get the opportunity to get funding, we can put it as a priority to the communities. We can build those wells. We can build the boreholes to the community members and the schools. Like our school, we don't have water. We suffer with water at the school right now. If, because the season has changed, we get little rainfall and uh, we have one tanker. cannot accommodate the 180 children we have. But if we get a borehole or oh, water well, at our area, at all at our school premises. But we need to put more effort to see that we can get funding and we do our project, a water project to every area we have. And uh, we put irrigation, because it will pass also in irrigation scheming. Because we need people to grow vegan agriculture. So people to grow vegan agriculture will have to be with those irrigation schemes. Because nowadays, rainfall is not as it was in years back because of climate crisis. And you're also working on seed distribution. Are most of the families you work with involved in farming? Of course. Our families, the farmers, the peasants, we are trying to teach them veganic farming where they don't use animals' production. So to do it, we have to give them free seeds. And they need to get water to water in their activities to grow well. But they don't have that education scheme. And sometimes they, they can grow like one acre of land. And then they get to one bag of maize or beans because of poor environment and so on. So we need to see that if time comes, we dig water walls so that they can collect water from there and they get pumps to get their crops to be easier for them to grow more vegan food in the area and they can get what to eat and get what to sell, get money. But our people are farmers. What kind of livelihoods other than farming are available to the children that you teach? The life is miserable. It is miserable because our people, they are very poor. 
And like, we can find a farm in a way that they cannot buy food. That means they don't pay school fees for their children. They cannot buy uniform for their children. They cannot buy a shoe for their children. So we are living in a community where people are very, very, very poor and very sick. Because the largest number of people that, that they have HIV, AIDS, they're very sick, they're very weak, they're very poor. So we are, we are trying to do what we can so that we educate these young children to build another generation, which, which will be effective for the change. But the lives of our people, it is miserable. It is very poor. So how can our listeners find out more about your work? What is your website and your social media? As an organization, we do our work on different platforms we are using to promote our work. As you said, that we have a website, we have other platforms where we, like a website which is www.loveforalluganda.org. We have our, our Facebook, Love for All Uganda, Twitter, Love for All Uganda, Instagram, Love for All Uganda 12. And also we use our home-based strategies, like we do campaigns, we do outreaches, and uh, we're trying to, in the future, we shall be having radio short talks and TV short talks time to come. So we are doing all those to promote our work in, in our country and uh, other countries. That's great. And we'll include links to all of that as well. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Just don't go anywhere. But thank you so much for joining us on Our Head House. Okay, welcome. Well, that's it for our show. As always, if you enjoy the podcast and you're able, we would be thrilled to have you join the flock by going to ourhenhouse.org slash donate and signing up for $10 a month or $100 a year. Or you are welcome to make any size donation that feels comfortable to you. You can also support us by leaving a glowing review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Like us on Facebook, where you can also leave a fabulous review, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Our Hen House. Join our online community at ourhenhouse.mn.co and spread the word about the podcast to friends and family. The Mighty Networks platform, which again is at ourhenhouse.mn.co, is available to everyone, regardless of whether or not you're a Flock member, though we do have a lot of robust information behind the paywall of the Flock section. So do consider that when you're considering joining the flock. And if you already support us, thank you so much. Remember, if you become a flock member, you also get bonus content each week, an opportunity to have a one-on-one -on -one session with me, Jasmine, and you also get access to that aforementioned fabulous flock bonus area of Mighty Networks. If you donate $250 or more, we'll also send you a pretty fantastic our Hen House Brass Pin. So thank you so much to those of you who support us. Thank you to my co-host, Marianne Sullivan, to Vicki Beachler for her work in producing this podcast, to composer Michael Heron for the music. Thanks to Eric Montgomery of the Podcast Haven for his work editing the podcast, to our production assistant, Jocelyn Martinez, and to Veronica Kalinska, who designed our logo and other graphics. I'm Jasmine Singer, and I'll talk to you next week. 